following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in the Gospel of Luke. For more audio or information about our church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. This week, our story continues to grow. Uh, Our story continues to move forward. So last week we talked about Zechariah, about Elizabeth, uh, and about this miraculous uh, birth of their baby, of their baby boy. And we talked about this being miraculous in two ways. Uh, First, it was miraculous because they they had prayed for, they have wanted a kid for so long, all their lives. Uh, but at this point, they were beyond, as our text the childbearing years. Uh, our text says they were advanced in years. And so un- it was unlikely that this was ever going ever gonna to happen. And here in this story, nothing is impossible for God. He shows up. They have a son. Now, uh, who, by the way, was a living, breathing answer to prayer. But as miraculous as that was, uh, we talked about last week that more miraculous than that, even, was this fact that, that this arrival of this little boy marked the end of 40 years of silence. So from this text in Luke, uh, it, you can go back 400 years, church, 400 years but since the last time a prophet had spoken to God's people, the last time they had heard from God, the last time they had heard the Messiah's coming, and it was like all of history, all the prophets built up to this magical moment and silence. 400 years of silence. Um, Has he forgotten about us? Will he make good on this promise that we've been standing on? Uh, The miracle of the moment of Luke 1 is that after 400 years of silence, the silence was breaking. Because not only were Zachariah and Elizabeth having a, a beautiful baby boy, not only, they were having, their son was going to be the one who spoke for God to prepare the way for the Messiah. It wasn't that they were having, as much as they were having a baby boy, they were having a prophet. This was a huge deal, and it was breaking the silence, the 400 years of silence. So this morning, as we look at our text, the silence is continuing to break. This morning, uh, we're going to look at a story that, that honestly runs parallel to the one we talked about last week, runs right alongside of it, and this morning, it's going to become crystal clear. God is doing a work. God is doing a work, and it's going to drive us to ask, how then do we respond? So here's where we're going to go this morning. So we are going to look at Luke 1, and we're going to look at 26 through 56 uh, this morning. As we do from this this text, it's going to drive us to ask just a few questions. And so along the way, we'll be asking ourselves these these questions. But I want to dive right in, in verse 26 together. So verse 26, in the sixth month, an angel, the angel Gabriel, and let's just pause. This is the, the same angel that appeared to Zechariah uh, last week. Well, not last week, but last chapter. We talked about it last week. Um, this is the same angel that says, hey, I speak for God himself. This is the same angel that struck my man Zechariah with, just muted him for nine months, right? This is the same angel here. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed 
uh, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. All right, so let's stop, and let's get some context going for us. So the, the Mary here, the virgin, this young girl, she's probably, for those of you who don't, she's probably a lot younger than you even think. Uh, most believe she's right around 13 years old. 13 years old. A teenage, entering teenage years here, a teenager. And Mary was betrothed or engaged to a man named Joseph. Now, we don't use the word betrothed if you do. I mean, no, no offense to you, but we don't typically use that term in, in our culture today. And I'm going to put before you that our, I'll call it our wedding culture, what we do around weddings is very different from ancient Hebrew culture. So just to get us kind of on the same page with what's going on here, uh, I want to lay out what kind of the ancient Hebrew wedding looked like. And I want you to ask yourselves, which do you prefer, ours today or, and it's going to depend on one factor. We'll get there. So in the ancient Hebrew culture, weddings were in two stages. Uh, the first stage is what Mary was in. It's the betrothal stage. Um, in this stage, there would be a formally witnessed agreement. They would sign it. It would be witnessed. Um, and there was a financial price paid for the bride. This is stage one. So a financial gift was given. Um, by the way, parents of girls, you have to be asking yourself, like, what happened to that custom? Why didn't that one continue, right? Um, not only do you not get a financial gift, by the way, you have to pay for the wedding. It's like a, a lose, lose Anyway, um, as a father of three boys, I will say I'm grateful that that custom has changed. But at this point, um, at betrothal, the, the, bride is legal, the bride and groom are legally married. So in the eyes of the, of the state, they're legally, they're legally married, and, and she would be referred to as wife at this point. So that's stage one. Stage two, a full year, most of the time later, a full year later, uh, an actual marriage ceremony would take place. An actual marriage ceremony would take place, and at that point, the husband could take his bride home. At that point, he could take his, his bride home. So the betrothal stage, stage one, would take place when a, when a, when a girl was very young, like we've already talked about, uh, as early as 12 years old, that this process would, would start. Um, but this was Mary. She was a young girl. She was in stage one of her marriage, a betrothed version. So, I, so I'm guessing parents of girls, you're wishing we could go back. Parents of boys, we're quite fine with where we are. But that was where Mary, where Mary was. Uh, and, and Gabriel appears to her, and listen to this greeting in verse 28. He, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Uh, what a greeting, by the way. What a greeting. Um, but there's a theme that I want to just kind of pick at because we bumped into it several times already. Uh, this, this theme that we saw, we bumped into it at Zechariah. We bumped into it a few weeks earlier when we were talking about Noah. Uh, and it's this theme of God's favor. Um, that someone would be favored by God. What causes that? What causes that? A better question is, is, is can we be sure of it? What, what causes a man and a woman, what causes us to know that we are favored by, by God? I mean, is it, 
our sinlessness or our righteousness? Is it uh, maybe our ability to not do bad things, to not sin? Um, Maybe is it the opposite, our ability to do good things? Is, Is that it? Is that what gets us this favor for God to look down and have favor on us. What, what is it? Um, hear me, the Bible makes this pretty clear for us. The Bible makes this pretty clear to us that, that favor is tied to faith. Favor is tied to faith. It always has been and it always will be. Without faith, you cannot have favor before God. Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Another way to say you're not going to have favor with him. Uh, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So think about Noah. Noah gained favor, as Hebrews tells us, when he believed. That's what gave him favor. We read about Abraham, just a few uh, chapters over, that he believed in God and it was credited to him, counted to him as righteousness. This, again, is Favor being tied to faith. Let me say it this way. No one has ever gained favor with God apart from faith in God. No one has ever gained favor with God apart from faith in God. Never happened. No one has ever been able to impress God with how good, how great they truly are. No one. And let me push it a little further and and go out on a limb and say, you're not going to be the first one to do that. I'm not going to be the first one, the first people to impress God with how, how great we are because favor is tied to faith. So the way that we have favor with God is that we believe that God is who he said he is and we believe that he will do what he said he will do. And in that way, we, we walk in favor. And so here, Mary is a woman of faith. And that's going to unfold here for us. Let's, let's pick it back up in 29. But she was greatly troubled uh, at the saying and, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Again, just restating, you have favor, you have favor. Uh, verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That is a truly amazing word, church. Imagine this, this, this girl getting this word about her unborn, not yet born baby boy. This would have been an incredible moment. And remember we're coming out of a period of silence, right? And so could this be the long-awaited Messiah, the end to this silence? Could this be? I would imagine. I mean, 13-year-old girls already have a lot of emotion swirling. This moment, no offense, this moment would have definitely been one of those moments where I can't even, we can't even put ourselves in those shoes to know what she could have been feeling at this moment and dealing with at this moment. And she responds with a very logistical question. Uh, Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? 
All right, that's, that's fair. That's a, that's a fair, typically virgins don't have babies, right? That's a fair uh, statement. So she says, how is this going to happen? Now, we don't need to get into any details here, but what she's asking is, do I need to do something to make this happen? Do I need to get with my man, Joseph, maybe move this wedding up, make this happen? What do I need to do to help? It was a very logistical question because virgins don't typically have babies. Um, And so she asked this question, and and here's what the angel says to her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy and the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who who is called barren. For, I love this, for nothing is impossible with God. All right, pause button. Um, Is there a double standard here in chapter one? Is there a double standard? Because think about it. Didn't Gabriel, same angel, absolutely slam Zechariah for his question? Like just slammed him, made him not be able to to talk. So he came and he says, you're going to have a son. Verse 18, Zechariah says, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And what did Gabriel do? He, he made him mute for nine months. Okay? Now, same angel says to Mary, you're going to have a son. She replies, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And then Gabriel lovingly lays out God's plan. He does not rebuke her. He does not strike her mute. What is that? Is Gabriel, did we catch him in a rough mood? With Zechariah. I thought about it as a parent. Um, if you can't relate to this, don't judge me. Um, but there are some mornings where my kids will do something, and I respond graciously, calmly, lovingly, and say, you know, just lovingly guide them back to what's good and right in our home. There are other days where the same kid will do the same thing, and it just gets under my skin and frustrates me, and and all of a sudden, I'm like, go to your room for a month. Like, this is, ugh. Was that what was happening? Was it just not Gabriel's day? Uh, I want to put before you, I don't think that's the case. But we do need to ask ourselves, what's the difference? What's the difference? Um, why, for Zechariah, let me, let me push this, because I think the difference is actually pretty simple. It all boils down to what we've already been talking about, which is faith. Belief. For Zechariah, when he was given this news, he doubted God. The text says he did not believe the words. If you look at verse 20, you see it. And behold, you are silent. This is Gabriel striking him mute until these things take place because you did not believe my words. You did not believe my words. For Zechariah, it was a how can I know this? How can I even believe this? How can I believe this? For Zechariah, it was a belief problem. It was a faith problem. It's not the same thing when we get to Mary, though. With Mary, Gabriel gives her the news, and like we said, her first instinct was to talk logistics. It was not, will God do this? Can I believe that he will do it? It was, how is he going to do this? 
How then will he do this? Um, there are many parallels between Zechariah and Mary in this, in this narrative, but there are some important and subtle details, uh, differences. One being faith. Um, and we're about to see Mary's faith on display. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That is probably my favorite verse in this whole section. And this verse kind of encapsulates the faith that's on display in Mary. She believed God, period. And, and by the way, before we move on, I want to dig a little deeper. Okay, I want to dig just a little deeper um, to see why this statement from Mary is just absolutely incredible. And I want to do this by comparing Elizabeth to Mary. Okay, so for Elizabeth, um, Gabriel comes, gives her this prophecy. She's going to have a, a son. Uh, it, it, you're going to have a baby boy. For Elizabeth, she had been trying to have a baby boy all her life. All her life, she'd been trying to have a baby boy. She was unable to. And there was, as the text says, a reproach on her because she was unable to have a kid. There was a reproach that she dealt with in the culture. And here in this moment, Gabriel's prophecy would have been unbelievable. Because not only would it have given her the baby boy, which is unbelievable, but it would remove the reproach that she felt in her culture. It would remove it. She was, she was, her community would celebrate this. Uh, she was married. Now she has a baby. All is good. God is good. His plan is good. This would be Elizabeth. But for Mary, this would have been very different. For Mary, as we said, she's a 13-year-old virgin, unmarried, now pregnant. Um... For Elizabeth, the prophecy would have removed a reproach. For Mary, the prophecy would have added reproach. Uh, for a pregnant, unmarried, 13-year-old teenager, um, this news would have meant that she would potentially stand in judgment by the community around her. She's not yet married. This is not what happens. This is not the way it works. Um, for Put yourself in, in the shoes trying to tell her husband, future husband. I mean, as a guy, that's, not, that's a hard pill to swallow. That, that my um, fiance is now pregnant, and it's not me. Like, that, that, that's a tough pill to swallow. And so she stood in, in this risk of being not only living under the judgment from, from the culture, but also... What could this do to her future marriage? Um, the only way that this news would have been good, the only way that this prophecy would have been good is that Mary believed and trusted in God's plan. That she believed that God has a plan and his plan is good. And that, and that alone, her belief, is what led her to say, behold, I am, a ser I am the servant of the Lord. It's the only thing that would have led her to say, let it be to me according to your word. That is the only explanation for why Mary would have this response to that kind of news. Oh, that we could wrap our minds around that. 
Um, last week, one of the predominant questions that we dove down into is, do I believe this? Do, do you believe God? When God tells you something, do you believe him? And, and honestly, as we look into our text, that question still remains. That question still remains, and it sets out a question that I want us to kind of build on this morning, and that is this. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do I believe it? Um, Let me say it like this. The favor that you have with God is contingent on God being faithful and you being full of faith. Don't by the lie that your favor with God is contingent on you being faithful to do all the right things at all the right time. God is faithful when we were not. And our favor, as we have talked about, is based fully on our faith in him. Our faith in him. Um, Think about it. If God only favors those who are faithful, if that was it, um, that is not grace. That is not our gospel. That would be earned favor. Uh, And that's not all that great news, by the way. I mean, because it's no secret that we all fall short. So if it was based on that, that is not good news, and that is not grace, and that is not our gospel. But the gospel is this, that God favors the broken sinner. God favors the broken sinner because Jesus Christ was faithful on their behalf. Let's make it personal. God favors me because Jesus Christ was faithful on my behalf. And now through faith, I walk in favor with God. Through faith, we walk in favor. And the question is then this, do you believe it? Because if you believe it, if you believe that God was who he said he was, that you, if you believe that God will do what he said he's going to do, if you believe his word to be true, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you believe it, the Bible is very clear that you are favored by God. Not just right now, but for all eternity. That you are favored with God. Do you believe it? It must start here because without faith, again, church, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. The Bible says that God so loved you, he sent his son to die for you. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you believe it? This shifts our our scene a little bit in our text, and, and I want us to continue on And let's step into this incredible uh, visit in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, a town to a town in in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So don't rush past past this. For those of uh, ladies in the room, if you've been pregnant before, you know what traveling is like when you are pregnant. Uh, But this 13 year old pregnant girl just traveled anywhere between 80 to 100 miles. Um, That's not fun. But she, she makes this trip. It was not a quick trip. But remember, Gabriel told her that God was doing a work not only in her, but in Elizabeth. So what did she do? I have to get there. I have to get there. I have to go. Um, And she gets, gets on her shoes and sets out the door. I hope she had an animal to ride. 
So that's, that's a long trip. But she sets out, and listen to what happens in verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? <laughs> for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. There it is again. Faith, belief. What a moment that would have been. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in that moment right there. You talk about encouragement. Um, we, we talk a lot, by the way, church, about community here at, at Stone Oak Bible Church. We talk a lot about it, and, and we talk a lot about it because we, actually, we do believe in it. We believe it's vital to health. We, we, we believe it's vital to my health, to your health, no matter who you are. Community is vital. It's a vital part of what it means to be a child of God. Uh, we believe it's essential. In fact, if, if church, I mean, if you just think about it, if church is something that you engage with once a week, your community that you engage with once a week or maybe once every other week, whatever it is, if that's the extent of, if this is the extent of your involvement with the people of God, if this is it, church, you are missing out on one of the greatest blessings that God has for you in your life. And I can say that with confidence. You are missing out on one of the great, greatest blessings. So, so often we, we, we kind of feel like, we need to go off in private, hunker down. I can do this. I can do this when it comes to the Christian walk. But so, so often, God's chosen tool to strengthen you, to encourage you, is his people. It's others. It's the people around you. It's through community. It's through the power of community. And Mary shows up here, I'm sure with just thoughts swirling through her mind at 100 miles an hour. She shows up here. What just happened to me? What does this mean? What is this going to mean for my future? She shows up after that long journey being alone with her thoughts. And she shows up and, and Elizabeth meets her with this incredible encouragement. Just this absolute incredible encouragement. Talk about affirmation. All of a sudden, Mary is not alone. All of a sudden, Elizabeth is not alone. God was doing something, and they both saw it. They rejoiced together. They strengthened each other. They worshiped together. All of a sudden, they are not alone. When God is moving in your life, that is a moment, church, to be shared. That is a moment to be shared. And so the first question that we wrestled with is, do you believe it? And I want to talk about the second question, which is a direct outpouring of that first question, and that is this, do you share it? Do you share it? So we talk a lot, let me define my term here, because we talk a lot in the church about sharing your faith with those who don't know Jesus. We talk a lot how that's our mission, how we're equipped, we're empowered, we're called to do that. We talk a lot about that, and that is absolutely true. But church, as a Christian, your life is not just about sharing the faith with those who don't know Jesus. It's about sharing in the faith with 
people who do know Jesus to strengthen and spur us on in this life to bring the most glory to our God. It's to share in the faith. Are we doing that? Are you doing that? Are you sharing in the faith with the people in your life? Um, Do you have a community that you go to when God is starting to do something in your life? And for our purposes today, no offense, Facebook is not included in this, all right? I'm talking talking real, like face-to-face. I'm talking life-on-life. Do you have that? Um, do you share with, in the faith with anyone? If the, your answer is yes, church, keep it up. It encourages me just being around you. Keep it up. It is worth it. Fight for it. Don't quit. Keep it up. Don't neglect it. Um, as you know, if you are a part of this kind of community, if, as, you, as you clearly know, um, letting people in to see you, see the real you, is, it can be difficult Um, you can't truly share if you're hiding. I think we all know that, but you can't truly share if you're guarded, if if you're hiding. And so it takes a little bit of a step of faith to have a community like this that you share with when things, when God's doing something in your, in your life. Church, if that's you, if you're doing it, keep going. Keep going because so often God uses other people to grow you in your faith. So often, God uses other people to strengthen you. Out of nowhere, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but out of nowhere brings encouragement, strength. That's God's plan and for his people. And so often, that's the plan. And, and this is one of the, the most powerful things about being a part of the family of God. That right there. And honestly, let me. this is why when things are not going great, When you are struggling, when I am struggling, that is the greatest tendency I feel to withdraw. When things, I don't seem to have it together, I like to withdraw, I like to back away um, until I kind of get my stuff together, right? Until that happens. Why is that? Why is that that everyone I talk to will tend to withdraw from community when things get hard? It's because the enemy knows clearly that an isolated follower of Christ is a vulnerable follower of Christ. The enemy wants nothing, nothing more than to to get you alone. Do you share it? If your answer is no, I want to encourage you to engage. And as a church, my hope is is that we provide opportunities for you that makes getting, taking that first step into community, um, removing as many barriers as we can from that. Uh, We know that all of us live in busy lives and, and all of that. But if you're here and you are wondering how, how can this actually happen in my life? How can I get connected to uh, a community? How can I get connected into a community group? Um, church, this is, let me just say this again. This is huge, and it's a huge part of what we do. And I want to encourage you to get connected to a community group. If you're not connected to a community group already, I just, I want to encourage you. And I want to point out two ways that we have for you to kind of take that next step. Uh, the first one is this. We launched a, a new website. Uh, we launched a new website. I'd love for you to take, 
take a moment to check it out. Um, but as you can probably not see here because it's kind of tiny, um, we have a map that just represents all of our groups that meet throughout our city. In, in each one of these, you're going to get information about it. You're going to get to know who's leading it, what the group's like, when they meet, all of that kind of, of stuff. You're going to get information about it. And you can even go on through here, connect with our group leaders, and sign up and get connected into a group right away. And this, again, is, is our attempt to make that first step, bring down some of those barriers, because we know getting connected. By the way, I'm an introvert. And so I know there are barriers to getting connected to group, and this is an introvert's friend. So, so take advantage of that, my introverts. Uh, if you are here, though, and you are not an introvert, and you want to talk to a real per- I don't understand you guys. And you want to talk to someone real face-to-face, you want to really, you want to ask questions, you have some questions. I want to introduce you, if you haven't met Craig, uh, he's our associate pastor, and he oversees all of our groups. And, and the reason I put him up here is because, one, to make him uncomfortable, um, but two, in the back, I want you to know that we're gonna, Craig's going to be back there. Now you know what he looks like. He's going to be back there at our Connect group, and along with a few of our just people in groups and group leaders. And if you have any questions this morning, don't hesitate to just drop back there and, and ask. Um, it's important for you to get connected to a community of faith. It is important, and as I said, it will be difficult at times. It will be more convenient not to go sometimes. And as I've said, I'm your pastor, and I go through this. I go through those moments where the last thing I want to do is to get my crazy boys into a crazy car and go to someone else's home that they can destroy. I'm telling you. (laughs) It's one of the last things sometimes, but it is worth it, church. I promise you, I promise you it is worth it because God uses his people to strengthen and encourage his people. And to avoid that, to push away from that, is to say no to one of the greatest avenues that God uses to pour into you. It is worth it. So from our text, as we look at this, we see both of these women were women who believed God. They believed in his word. They believed him. And through faith, they were favored by God. They believed God. And so do you believe it? We also see that these women who were witnessing God moving came together, shared together in the faith. And do you you share it? These, These women just share in this incredible moment where they encourage each other. God is at work. And they celebrate it. And by the way, if you skip down to verse 60, or 56, Mary was there for about three months. It's not a short-term thing. This worship service lasted a long time. She was there for three, three months. Our text just paints this picture of these women just being in awe of what God was doing in them, what God would be doing through them. They're in awe. And it brings us to the final portion of our scripture that I want to look at. And Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat is what it's called, but I'm not cool enough to say it. So I'm just going to say Mary's song of praise. Um, This is the moment when Mary takes everything in. She takes everything in that had been happening and she takes it in and just marvels. And she gives this beautiful, poetic, lyrical expression. 
of what God was doing. And, and before we read this together, I want, to, uh, I want to set it up with one more thing. Throughout history, we as the church have looked back on Mary with, with a great deal of respect and reverence. Uh, we have been, we've looked back and we've held Mary up with a, with a great deal of respect. Uh, but hear me. If we look back on this story and, and, and the thing that we come away with is how great is Mary? Look how great Mary is. Church, we have missed it. We have missed it because the point of the story is not to look at the greatness of Mary, not to look at the greatness of Elizabeth. The point of this story is to look at the greatness of our God. The reason Mary was great is because she trusted and relied on a great God. The reason Mary, Mary was not perfect. Mary was not perfect, but her God was. Mary was not sinless, but the, ba the baby in her womb was going to take care of that. The point, the great thing about Mary is how she points us up to an incredible God. And if you do not believe me, listen to her words. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Listen to this. For he who is mighty has done great things in me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. As you read that, you quickly, quickly realize this was not about Mary. This was not about Mary. This was about God. This was about God's plan coming true, God's purposes coming true, his power, his goodness. Do you see the pronouns in this? He, he has looked. He is mighty. It's his mercy. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has exalted and filled the hungry. He has helped. It's his mercy. Worship, praise, recognition, glory, all of it is given to him and him alone. For Mary, it was never about her or her greatness. What makes this story so great? What makes Mary so great? What makes Elizabeth great? It was that they placed their faith and their confidence in a great God that had a plan, his plan was good, and they trusted in his plan. Which, by the way, let me just set this up. Um, speaking of his plan, back in the garden, that first moment in the Garden of Eden, when God promised Eve, one day, one day, one of your children, one of your children are gonna be born, a man will come, and he will crush the head of the snake, and sin will be defeated. Death will be defeated. From that moment forward, the whole world, all of history had been waiting for this moment. And it's here. 
Well, it's not here yet. It'll be here next week, but it's here, <laughs> right? It's, it's here, and, which reminds me, uh, anyone here in the Christmas spirit already? I have one, two. <laughs> One's my wife. So uh, when you come next week, don't be weirded out if you leave feeling Christmassy. All right, that's all I'll say on that. Um, but next week, we're going to talk about that moment that changed everything. That changed everything. The, the moment that everything pointed to. Everything pointed to this moment. The, the moment we've been waiting for since the garden. And I hope you're going to be able to be there. But Mary's faith and confidence was in God's good and perfect plan. In his good and perfect plan. Band, you guys can go ahead and come up here. Um, and I encourage you this morning to place your faith in the same thing. This morning, I'd like to finish our service very similar to the way that we did last week. Uh, so last week, we, we finished our time uh, by, by reading together Zechariah's prophecy. And it's just kind of summed up everything that we had just walked through. Well, this week, I want to do something very similar, and I want to end our time with Mary's song of praise. Uh, and just to read it together one more time. So church, would you stand with me? Church, as I read this, I want to ask you something. I want to ask you to do this. Um, listen to these words. Listen again to these words about our God. Listen as, as, they, as they are read. And ask yourself, do I believe it? And church, if you do believe it, I, I want you to ask yourself the question is, how can I share it this week? Who can I share it with this week? My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever.